Previously on the land above. Got a letter from Brashbird. Ooh. And she picked up the letter because uh, she loves nothing more than to hear from her eldest daughter. Mom, you said to keep in touch. I'm bad at that. Sorry. Love you forever. BB. I love my daughter so much. <laughs> oh, my poor girl. You get to work writing a response letter, and it's only about a minute or two later that there's another knock at your door. And outside, there are a pair of late middle-aged tabaxi, and you recognize immediately the much-aged, since you last saw them, faces of your father, Sal, and your mother, Dust. Ender, who is currently perched up on your shoulders and is hanging onto your horns for balance, points one fuzzy finger off towards one of the carts, trying to direct your attention. You just see this small form, cloaked in dark rags and strips of fabric, scrambling out of the back of this cart from underneath the packages. Listen, if, if you don't have family, I know a place where you can go. You'll be safe, sir. I slowly and gently guide them back to the camp. I think... I think I found others like us. As you say that, her motion of flipping through the pages stops. And she just freezes for half a second, then goes back to reading and says, I see. They did not return to town with you, though, did they? No. But they may come here once their business is done. She closes her book stands. Shall we proceed with your training? We start with another flashback. We see Onaren, but he's now fully grown, strong, well-built, number of scars marking his hide from the number of rough years he's had to endure. He has a much harder look on his face now, one that's sort of forgotten the idea of childlike wonder and has become much more akin to the harsh realities of life. You are walking through the streets of Bungle, this town which has become your home, where you were not only found, but taken in, adopted, given a decent life by a man who is now not only your surrogate father, but your employer, and who claims with the best of intentions to be looking out not only for you, but for his larger community. And to that end has employed you a number of times to do some very unpleasant work. How does Anaren feel about basically being paid to hurt people? It's definitely not like an ideal uh, career or job he would want, but he knows life is brutal and harsh and unpleasant more often than not. Uh, he basically just rolls with it because he feels it's pretty much his only option right now. Uh, childlike wonder and curiosity he left behind years ago. So just, he makes a living, he doesn't kill people, he'll hurt them to get the job done, but you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's his life now. Which is fine, your, your boss doesn't kill people, but he likes to remind them of their responsibilities, which can involve broken limbs, dislocated joints, smashed up homes. Things that can be repaired. Potentially. Today... You have kind of an interesting assignment. Seems someone who should really know better has been stealing from one of your boss's friends. And you do some asking around, some investigating, and your investigations lead you to this kind of filthy hovel Nothing all that special. It looks like it had occupants at one point that abandoned it and has just sat empty for a while because no one wanted to go through the process of rebuilding it and cleaning it out. And what you find, as your, your tips and information have led you to believe you would, is this beggar woman, this tiefling with dark black skin, a pair of twisted horns that curl back over the crown of her head, giving her an strangely almost 
regal appearance, if not for the utter disheveled nature of the rest of her clothing. She is curled in the darkness of her tiny hovel as you brusquely push the uh, the flap aside and enter with your sense of purpose. And she sort of looks up at you from this little heap of rags and torn pieces of clothes. You know who I am. No, I don't. Perhaps you should introduce yourself when you come barging into someone's home. When Aaron snorts and some jets of you know, hot air come out of his nostrils. Well, if you don't know me, you won't forget me. I am Oneran. I'm here to collect. From what I hear, you have been stealing from the wrong people. I am new in town. Perhaps you tell me who the right people to steal from are. That's easy. You steal from the ones who can't take it back. Yazuzu is not one that you steal from. She stands up. And as she does, you can kind of make out she is missing her left arm below the elbow. The sleeve there just kind of goes limp and loose and there's no hand, whereas the right arm looks to be complete. She stands up and sort of gazes up at you through the dimly lit interior of this hovel, which you tower over her at your, what, eight-foot-tall stature? And she looks up with these dark crimson-red eyes and seems to regard you for a moment. Uh, I see much pain in you, O'Neren. I see also fear. O'Neren snorts, kind of annoyed at that, but will continue to listen. If it is your intention to beat me senseless for some act of petty theft that I only undertook to survive, well, I suppose you're welcome to try. But I warn you, I am more than I appear to be. And people who have doubted that fact have met very unfortunate ends in the past. So I offer an alternative to our situation. When Aaron seems kind of disinterested at first, he's looking around waiting for the speech to end because he's heard a lot of uh, mm-hmm. you know, people's responses when he comes to collect and he rubs his shoulder from you know, the wound he had when he was a kid. It's never fully healed. Mm-hmm. Your path has been one of sorrow and pain. I can give you the strength to change that. I can give you the power to take revenge on those who have wronged you, to master your fear and no longer be bound by it. At that point, whatever he was looking at, he stops and he'll look at her and regard her with a bit more interest because no one's ever made this offer before. So now he's, he's, he's it's peaked. Tell me, is swinging that giant ball and chain around all you can do? Well, that coupled with my muscles is all I need to do. Really? And she holds out one of her hands, and as she does, there is a bolt of dark fire that just erupts in her palm. Oh, Naren will step back a second and grasp the handle of his great flail. He doesn't know if he's being attacked or not. And she closes her hand, and as she does, the fire snuffs out. And she turns, and with a gesture, you see a number of candles around this hut, which had currently been unlit, suddenly light up, giving a more uh, brighter atmosphere to the interior. And you can see what looked to be like a a small tool set up, a number of glass vials, and what you think you recognize as perhaps alchemist equipment, or you see uh, an old, dirty leather satchel, and a large heavy tome set off to one side with some kind of strange sigil imprint on it that you can't quite understand. And she says, There is more power in you than you know. I have ways of unlocking that power, of giving you control over it, if you are willing to master it. If you're willing to master yourself. I offer you the chance to unlock this power, if... We can come to an arrangement regarding my punishment. When Aaron snorts and he grins a little, uh, I knew nothing is free down here. <sighs> Whether you give me something or not, the payment has to be settled. I leave it to you to decide how that is done. I may have a solution. This power you offer, I assume there to be a downside. There always is. In a sense, yes. It depends on how much 
of a downside you view it as? The power I am offering to unlock within you. And as she says this, she walks over to this rack of vials, and you can see that there's about six of them. Five of them are empty. And she pulls out the sixth, and it's got this thick, brownish-red liquid. She sort of swirls around inside of it. The power I can unlock within you is your own. It has always been there in your blood, waiting to be harnessed. But, as they say, there is no putting the genie back in the bottle. Once you undergo the change, it cannot be undone. There will be pain. There will be excruciating pain. But when it is done, you will find a strength within yourself you have never known before. Onaren will put his hand out and reach for the vial. He's also going to like eye her warily, because he's got questions, but he's still intrigued. Do we have an understanding that... Whomever I have crossed with my actions will be recompensed. I have a way to settle the debt. Of course, be warned, stealing from him again will not be ignored simply because of this one arrangement. Mm. Uh, you say you, you steal for survival? Yes, but perhaps that is no longer necessary. Unlocking the power is only the first step. You will need training to fully master it. I can offer you training in exchange for the necessities of life, food, reasonable comfort. I ask not much. I need not much. And I think you will find what I have to offer well worth in trade. I don't see why this arrangement shouldn't work for the both of us. Yeah, what do I have to lose? <laughs> we all ask ourselves that. Go sort things out with your masters and return. I will prepare the ritual. Hmm. We'll simply nod and exit the flap. Sometime later, that same day, I imagine, you return. A space in this hovel has been cleared. You notice that some of the candles within have been arranged around it. You see markings that have been drawn on the stone floor in dark reddish pigment. And she gestures to the ground and says, If you are ready, Onaren, we can begin. As ready as I love her be. Lie here. And I'll do as instructed. She pulls out a very thick-looking set of like leather straps. She starts to bind your wrists together. Do you just allow her? Onarin doesn't object yet. Okay. She pulls out another thick, tough piece of leather. Open your mouth. He listens. She slides it in, making sure to press down on your tongue and keep it pressed against the lower palate. I told you there would be pain. <laughs> Prepare yourself anyway. She comes back over with that vial of dark liquid. And she sort of pushes your mouth open. He starts to pour it down. You can feel it pooling along the back of your tongue, on the back of your throat. It's thick and syrupy and has this irony taste to it. On Aaron Swallows. She then closes your jaw and says, Bite tight. You clench your jaw around this tough piece of leather. You feel the first spasm of pain coming from your belly. And it hurts, but it's not the worst you've ever had. You've taken punches worse than that. Then the second jolt comes, and it's harder. And then another, and then another. And these jolts come harder and faster, and you feel like your insides have caught fire. Like your very body is cooking from the inside out. You feel every blood vessel in your entire body swell and scorch and burn as for the first time in your life you are made acutely aware of every vein artery capillary every cell of blood within your entire body as they become alive and alert it is tremendously painful and you even you with your exceptional constitution and rough upbringing almost pass out from the pain but when it's done and the 
throbbing begins to subside, and you're left with just this dull ache everywhere. This woman comes forward, pulls the rough piece of leather out from between your teeth, which you can now realize you've been holding your jaw tight without even thinking about it. It's so sore from the exertion. She takes your massive head in her relatively small hand and looks deep into your eyes and says, Well done, Blood Hunter. Back at Ghost's house, Ghost, how do you react at seeing your parents after... How long has it been? Hmm, very long time. I can't... I never thought about it. Uh... <laughs> how old is Ghost? How old did we say Ghost was? 30s, 30 maybe? Mm-hmm. 30, late 30s? Um, I don't know, at least 15 years. They are standing outside your door. You notice your father leaning slightly on a cane, the burnished silver handle to it. Mm-hmm. Neither of them say anything, and they're just... There's a sort of this awkward staring going on between the three of you. Huh. So, came yourselves, didn't you? Not expecting that one. Well, you did write and ask us to come. Now, did I ask you to come? Or did you I asked ask you for our help. Hmm. Suppose I did. Well, suppose. Might as well come in. And she steps aside and motions for them to enter the house. Your father comes forward. Ah, all that travel. Certainly glad we weren't turned away at the door, and he heads inside. Mm. We may have some fundamental disagreements, but I am not the least bit rude. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Riza has an opinion on the matter. You're feckin' right, I do. <laughs> Your mother actually stops at the precipice and will reach out, and if you allow her, just sort of touch your shoulder very gently and smile. She will allow it, but she will do nothing to reciprocate it. And then your mother heads inside. Ash, who uh, having has never met your parents, but probably from description alone, uh, and the fact that you told him, the fact that you were thinking about asking your father for help, kind of puts the situation together as they come in. He puts out a hand towards your father and says, Welcome, both of you. Uh, It's nice to finally meet you. And uh, your father just sort of leans on his cane, looks Ash up and down. Hmm. Yes, indeed. And just walks by without shaking his hand. Now, where where is this boy? Hmm? Where, Where is he about? Where is he? Is he on a date? Oh, I'll kill him if he's on a date. (laughs) Uh, You look around Spark, who is sort of taken aback by the whole situation. These two strange people walking into their house so abruptly. You see her eyes dart towards you in a kind of what's going on expression. Oh, Spark, honey, these are your grandparents. Nothing to worry about. They'll be here for a short while. Here to visit your brother. Your mother goes over and kneels down on the ground next to Spark. Oh, hello, my dear. It's so nice to meet you. What's your name? Spark. Nice to meet you, Spark. You can call me Grandmama. That's Grandpapa over there. We're we're your mother's parents. Oh, my God. My mom is so much nicer than my dad will ever be. Your father, (laughs) surveying the house with a generally disapproving sort of glance, says, So, uh... The the young boy has talent, from what I hear. That's, that's remarkable. Very, very reassuring to know the bloodline hasn't ended its potency. <laughs> so, If uh, anything, it's gotten even more strong without tradition. Just something to think about. Oh, that's... We, we, I suppose we shall see. <laughs> Actually, how, how are you doing, my dear, with your... Your abilities, have they grown any since last we met? Your your letter didn't mention anything about that. They have been growing is what you could say. There have been some side effects. Yes, well, you seem well enough. Surely these side effects couldn't be too awful? (laughs) 
Hmm. Chronic, no. Unnerving, rather. Well. Hmm. <laughs> there's this this pause. The two of you share a moment of mutual <laughs> mutual disapproval. <laughs> and then You can you, see where she gets it from. Yeah. And then the sort of the, the curtain or the the, you know, the 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 flap at the entryway of the house gets pushed aside and standing there looking a bit confused at the sight in front of him is snow steps inside and before you or he can say anything your father immediately steps forward ah there we are this is the boy i'm sure <laughs> Hello there, son. I'm I'm your grandfather. I'm sure your mother has told you all about me. <laughs> Ooh. I, 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 am, I understand you and I have, have something rather in common. Snow looks past him at you with a, like, is this guy for real? <sighs> she just nods. She just nods. Snow says, yeah... Mom's told me about you. What are you, what are you doing here? He goes, well, my boy, I understand that you possess very special talent, but your your education may be a bit lacking in how to master it. That's that is why I'm here to give you the assistance your mother cannot provide. So, shall we uh, step outside and just talk man to man? How about that? And he puts one arm around snow and turns him around and snow gives you like one last glance over his shoulder before accompanying your father out of the house <laughs> yeah and just before like they exit like leave leave ghost just kind of yells at don't forget your prayers i won't prayers prayers <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me your mother's gone and gotten religion <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Starting to like this guy. <laughs> Don't worry. If she hasn't parted any silly ideas. We'll get those out of your head soon enough. Oh, nice. The two of them leave God. the house. Damn and it, Dad. Ash just walks up behind you and you feel his his hand on your shoulder. Just sort of a reassuring, a reassuring touch. And he leans in close to whisper so that your mom, who's across the room, can't hear and says, If you want me to kick them out, just say the word. <sighs> No, no, it'll it'll be okay. And you know, I wasn't expecting them to come here, but I almost would prefer it like this. It'd be easier to keep an eye on him in particular. Okay. Got your back. <sighs> I love you. Love you too. Back at the urchin camp, several hours later, Crown, at some point, you have you know, other responsibilities in the camp the other urchins to take care of. Every now and then you'll look over and you'll notice Ender and this cloaked individual staying near one another. Um, at some point you watch as Ender is sort of drawing little figures in the dirt with his finger and the, the cloaked figure will move their finger to try and copy the drawings as Ender is making them. Is there anything that Crown would like to do? I think after a few hours, Crown would go back over, like, after they'd done, like, all the important stuff, all the bits that they have to do, Crown would go back over and before going there, would go to their sort of area where they put all their stuff and grab the balls of paper from when... They tried to write a letter to Charlie when first parcel day came and grab a bit of chalk that they were using and kind of flatten out the paper again so the other side is usable. Mm -hmm. And on it, write, uh, my name is Crown, what's your name, before walking over to them and put in the piece of paper and the chalk in front of them. In front of the hooded figure. Mm -hmm. The figure glances down at the note. You see them reach out with one spindly hand and grasp crudely at this piece of chalk and begin to sort of scrape it 
across the paper and they write pity. I don't like that. Matthew, <laughs> I don't like that. I don't. I'm like the polar that. opposite. I love. I that. don't. You know, is this gonna be like the seven deadly sins? Like, is this what we're going? <laughs> am, am I kind of the person who's just sat in the middle, like, yeah, this is fine. I. I mean, I'm there with you, Kai. I'm more like, mm, perhaps Tiefling who is hidden under there. Maybe nothing bad. Tiefling. Crown. Crown will look at the paper and nod before writing down again um do you remember anything before you were in the car they reach out and take the chalk and they just scroll pity and then one of their hands reaches up sort of towards your sort of towards your face but stops before they get to it they're not entirely sure if this is permissible. Crown does one of those things where, you know how a dog looks confused so they turn their head to the side? Crown sort of does that, like, very confused, before kind of moving their head towards the hand. The hand reaches out and touches one of your horns and kind of feels the curve of it, feels the point at the tip, then... Let's go. Retreats. And then they reach out again and grab one of your hands. Mm-hmm. And pull it under their hood. And you feel the bony curve of a tiefling horn. Huh. And then, once you felt that, they push your hand back. You're like me, in a way. Yeah. Crown will then um, sit, like, find a, like, rub a bit of dirt so it's like all loose and everything before drawing out um, a very 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 crude sketch of of them and their brother okay. and then look at Pity and draw what they imagine Pity looks like next to the two of them Okay, what do you imagine Pity looks like? so when I felt the horn, what sort of style horn was it? Was it curved? Was it straight? What it's... sort of style horn would you say? Hmm. I'm going to let you answer that. Oh, God. Okay. Um, I legit can't think of any horns. Elk, deer, ibex, ram, goat, buffalo, water buffalo. Moose. Moose. Thanks, guys. Just chuck horns at me. Moose horns? Antlers. They're antlers? Moose antlers. Yeah, but I had to say it because Canadian. <laughs> I heard I heard your trumpet, Ben. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, let's go with sheep horns. Okay. So kind of like crowns? Kind of, but not quite. Like, slightly less, like, curvy. Okay. I kind of imagine it. Okay. So you imagine you you draw horns like that. What other details do you give pity in your drawing? Um, there, it's everything does look like very bony. Um, I think that because Crown hasn't really like seen a tail or no tail, there's kind of this weird amalgamation of both, of like a very like half tail that isn't like properly like a normal tail but isn't not a tail mm-hmm. um crown is also kind of imagining like three quarters their height so if like crown's like five foot with like a tiny bit extra horns mm-hmm. like quite short about like in the four foot sort of area so yeah okay. you you make this little drawing of charlie and crown and pity and they observe it, and then they reach out and sort of wipe away the dirt where you drew pity. Was I not correct in my drawing? Ender sort of stands up, and one of their paws grasps at the edge of Pity's hood and tugs it a little bit, and Pity goes to stop them, but then lets go and allows it, and as Ender pulls the hood back, you see revealed... That same pale, chalky-colored skin, no hair, 
bony sheep's horns and a slightly malformed face. One of the eyes is sort of closed over and the skull is almost sort of pinched to keep the eye permanently closed. The head is a little bulbous and irregularly shaped and they just shrivel a little bit under your gaze and you just hear them mutter, pity, pity. Hmm. You know, in my head I actually imagined you looking a lot worse. You look actually quite alright. After a moment passes and you're not... Like, it, it seems uh, that they were expecting a certain sort of reaction from someone seeing their face, and when you clearly don't have that reaction, they look up and meet your eyes. Crown has got that kind of thing where, you're like, you've seen, like, someone look so much worse, and it's, like, a nice sight to see someone, even if they look bad, still look okay. There is a cautious, almost hopeful little smile that creeps up Pity's face. They're not completely sure that you're not going to call them a monster and throw them out, but so far, so good. Crown just sits there for a minute thinking before speaking again, just going, do you know, if, if you're scared of them, I'm going to kick you out or go to something? We don't do that here. For all kids that live on the street, we'll help each other no matter how we look. We're safe here. Pity looks down at Ender, and Ender just wraps his tiny arms as far as he can around Pity and gives him gives them a hug. And the urchin camp has a new family member, it seems. I'm dying from adorable feels over here, don't mind me. Good day to you, podcast listeners. Matthew here. I hope wherever you are, this message finds you well. I myself am still in the dregs of a Yuletide plague, so I will make this brief. Please enjoy these unfinalized edits of our podcast while I recuperate. Fully produced versions will be completed and put out once I am back to decent health. Please check out our sponsor, Die Hard Dice, purveyors of the finest polyhedrals in the multiverse. You can use our coupon code LANDABOVE, that's one word, L-A-N-D-A-B-O-V-E, at checkout, on dieharddice.com to save 15% on your first or next order. It is a one-time use code, and it lets the good beans over at Die Hard Dice know that we sent you. The Land Above podcast is part of the Nerdsmith Network. Nerdsmith is a collaborative network delivering free nerdy entertainment to the masses. You can follow Nerdsmith on Twitter at WeAreNerdsmith for updates and show releases, and visit nerdsmith.org to see all the fantastic programs they offer. On behalf of the cast, we wish you all the best for the new year. Now let's get back to the show. Ghost, I'm assuming you complete your letter for Brashbird. I do. And you give it to the Centaur Caravan. I do. Does anyone else have anything that they want to give to the Centaur Caravan while it's in town? No? How lonely is it with no friends? Just, like, asking. <laughs> I mean, it pretty much sucks. <laughs> I can tell you from personal experience. Like... Oh, my goodness. Like, Riza considers all of you her friends, even though she's mad at Ghost right now, but she's not going to call that grudge burnt yet. <laughs> wow. This is a really sad setting, y'all. Um, all right. Has no one had anything else to give to the Centaur Caravan? A couple of days pass. Snow and your father spend some time together over those couple days, Ghost, most of it away from you. As your father insists that the things they have to talk about are, are, are men things to be discussed among men. Oh, so Ash should go with them just fine. Do you suggest that? Oh, I sure do. Okay. And Ash will accompany them on one of these days. Uh, when they come back, Ash is not exactly happy and he explains to you that uh, your father and Snow and he took a little walk down to the lakeside. And as your father was just sort of soaking his, his tired paws in, in the water, they were having a discussion regarding your bloodline. Oh, of course and they were. The duty that members of it have to pass that bloodline on and... The work that's been done over generations to make sure that it's not diluted 
And whereas Ash was kind of okay with writing this out as long as you were okay with it, his opinion is starting to change, and he's not entirely comfortable with your dad being around your kids. Mm. Yes, well, that is the way of it. Um... Hmm. You know what, Ash? I don't blame you. Did are they doing? I think we. I think we need to talk to Snow. We need to talk to Snow because if he's not doing anything to actually help his powers, his talents, then there's no reason for them to continue staying here. Uh, as you say that, Ash nods and say, "Yeah, I, I pretty much agree." <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh god we yeah we need to talk to snow we need to talk to snow <sighs> uh, has the caravan left yet uh they'll be leaving tomorrow okay so we have a chance to kick them out <laughs> <laughs> pretty much <laughs> okay so where's snow where's my boy uh, he is lying down this is kind of late in the day for your family so he is in bed Trying to go to sleep. Oh, well, that's not going to happen. Come here, Snow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you call him into your room. Where are my parents staying? Uh, they are staying at the Troll's Head Tavern. Mm, okay. Or Troll's Head Saloon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have a couple rooms there for rent. You call Snow <laughs> in. Mm. He just kind of looks at the two of you. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Grandpa. Yeah, we are going to talk about Grandpa. Um, has Have you guys spoke about your abilities in the past few days? Has that conversation occurred at all? We did. Um, he asked me to show him some of the stuff I can do. I did. He was impressed. Uh, I get the feeling that... I get the feeling that it's more than he can do. Oh, that is for certain... It is. Which, why is he here? He is here, but because because while it is more than he could do, what it is more, what he could do is more similar to what you can do. I can make a giant wall of flame, but I can't find things without seeing them. I can't find you from across town. So while you are stronger than he will ever be, you two have the same type of abilities. So he's supposed to be helping me. Supposed to is the key word there, my darling. And that is where our concern lies. Now, I know that's not the only thing he has been educating you on. And I wanted to hear, first and foremost, your opinion on what he has been teaching you so we should say he looks up at ash and then looks down and looks a little embarrassed he's like well he told me he told me he and grandma are related (sighs) yeah that's yeah yeah they're they're cousins that's the truth and she kind of she looks at her paws because she has that extra finger it's a real small nub but it's still there she's like yeah that's that's what the family does that's the family tradition they think that because if they stay within the family if they marry within the family it keeps the bloodline pure and she says this with such disdain oh god she hates them and obviously that's not correct because Grandma doesn't have powers, and you will strong. You are stronger than gra- than Grandpa will ever be. It's a complete fluke that I have the abilities that I have compared to your grandparents. And I decided when I was almost about your age that I didn't want anything to do with it. And I can't tell you what to think because you're fourteen. And you are going to do what you are going to do in your life, but I want to know what you think. Well, I, I think marrying your cousin is really weird. Yes. And I would concur. I, I, 
I, I think he's not, I think he's wasn't really being honest with you. I, I told him about the nightmares I have and he, he just sort of ignored me. I don't think he's really here to help. Snow, I am so sorry. I wanted so badly for him to be able to help you in some sort of capacity. I don't want to see you suffer like this. With the nightmares, I know I've seen how bad it can be. And I'm sorry to put you through such an uncomfortable experience to have gained nothing from it. Tomorrow, they will be gone. And God's willing, we shall never see them again. Grandma seems pretty nice, though. Grandma's pretty chill. She didn't marry her cousin. But that's all I have to say on that. (laughs) We sometimes do silly things if it's what's expected of us. That part is true. But that's why I'm here with you two. He steps forward and like wraps his arms around you and hugs you. And he's so tall now. Oh, he's so tall now, my boy. He's growing up so fast. And as he's hugging you, he murmurs, I'm glad Grandma married her cousin because it means I get you as a mom. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? I, I'm glad. I'm glad Grandma married her cousin, too, because then I wouldn't even have you. <laughs> he lets go, and Ash comes in, gives him a hug, too. Pats his back, says, okay, back to bed. Gives him a little swat on the butt as he goes out the door. So, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, this... I, 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 I don't know. I guess I expected too much, put too much faith in... <sighs> Get too much too much faith in him. I don't know. I just want so bad to help him. I I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help him. Ash puts his hands on his shoulders and kind of leans forward to press his forehead into yours and says, "We'll do our best." It's all we got. It's all we got. <sighs> and the two of you turn in for the night. The next morning comes, and the center of town is alive with activity. Is the Centaur caravan? Starts to tear down their tents and their temporary, uh, the the, you know, the 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 temporary uh, structures that they've put up for themselves to to lodge them while they're in town, and everyone is getting their last minute parcels and packages put on the wagons. And Ghost, I want you to tell me how this plays out. Do you wait for your parents to come to your house? Do you go to the saloon to confront them? How does this conversation take place? I want this away from the kids. Okay. I don't want this to happen near the kids. So we go to the saloon. We go to the tavern. Okay. Um, it's me and Ash. Sure. And this has been planned out beforehand where Ghost is going to talk to her father and she's going to, while this is happening, she's going to have Ash have a conversation with her mother. And basically, what's going to happen is that um, Ghost is giving compensation for their journey and for the price it it paid it it costs to stay at the tavern for the amount of time it did. And while she confronts her dad and basically kicks him out of the town, um, Ash is going to give her mom one of the one of the figurines she got from the Dragon's Den, and basically saying that. If some reason could be any, she wanted to come back without without grandpa, without her husband, her cousin, she is free to do so. You go to your parents' room. Your mother answers the door and Ash asks if she would join him for, for breakfast. Explains that you need a word with your father alone. Your mother graciously accepts. And the two of them go out into the main tavern room of the saloon, leaving you and your father alone. And your father is sitting on the edge of this um, hair-stuffed mattress. And he's got his cane 
uh, in both hands. And he looks up to you and says, Ah, ha, ha. ah my daughter. Yes, it's good morning. I must say, it's this uh, phenomenally talented young boy you whelped, I must say. It's, it gives, gives warmth to this old man's heart to see the generations carrying on. What, what brings you here so early in the morning? Hmm? Mm. You know, he, he's stronger than you'll ever be. Oh, yes, he's very, very talented. And where do you think that came from? <laughs> I think it should be obvious. <laughs> Our bloodline has always had profound magical talents. Is is That's a f- ridiculous question. You know the answer to that as well as I do. <laughs> then I... Then what happened with Mom? Well doesn't manifest in every individual. You have a daughter who doesn't seem to have any sort of manifest ability. Two. Oh, right. There was the first one. Uh, Anyway. Anyway, but the boy, the boy is truly special. Interesting. Interesting. What do you you think of his nightmares? Uh, uh, Passing adolescent phase. <laughs> don't go! Don't don't go! Telling me he still wets the bed. <laughs> it's he'll grow out of it. I'm sure. Ooh, Dad, I don't. I wouldn't call it passing. They've been happening for some time now. He's a and that's, boy. Yes. Did you ever have passing nightmares of adolescence? Um, yes, I imagine I did. You imagine? Okay. Okay. Look, if you if well, you want me to admit that the boy has more raw talent than I ever have, I will admit that sh- freely. That's what's so exciting about meeting him. That's, that's that's why I'm so eager to introduce him to the rest of the family to, to for him to understand his heritage better. <laughs> Oh, Dad, you crack me up after all these years. I wasn't joking. Oh, yeah, I know. That's why it's so funny. (sighs) See, that's not going to be happening, unfortunately. Oh, boy. I called you here. Well, I asked you to help because I thought maybe I had the glimpse of a hope that the net help you provided would be more than the harm you try to cause. And I don't think that's what's happening here. Now, I understand trip is not an easy one to make. I made it myself before. I am completely willing to compensate for travel costs for your room stay. I have it right here for you. And she hands him the small bag and she says, this seems to be a mistake and one I do not wish to repeat again. My family will not be following tradition. Sal stands up and this jovial expression he's been putting on pretty much this entire visit has gone away and is replaced with just this deep scowl as he takes a step forward and says, well, I suppose it was too much for me to hope that you had finally seen the error of your ways. And he reaches out with the back of his hand and just slaps the purse of coins out of your hand. I don't (sighs) want your money. I want the boy. That boy (laughs) is the future of our line. There is no future, Dad. The line ends with me. Do you understand that? No, 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 no. He, no, no, don't, no, 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 no. I am not going to let you dangle this in front of me and then snatch it away. I am not going to let you waste his potential the way you wasted your own. Oh, my potential. I do great things. I help people. I help keep this town safe. I have raised three kids. And I've been doing it damn well with someone who I didn't grow up with. Who didn't see at family birthday parties? So you're better than the rest of us. What else is new? I used to wear gloves every day. I was so sickened looking at my own hands. And I always told you you had nothing to be ashamed of. But you really? never listened to me. Why never listened. listened. 
Why? Why would I, Sal? Why All would I? I ever wanted was for you to embrace who and what you were born to be. What? What? And was I supposed to be? Someone great. I think I'm pretty damn awesome. My kids think so too. I was a fool to come here. He starts walking towards the door. She lets him go. The door opens, slams against the wall. He comes out. You hear him say, Dust, my dear, we're leaving. Pierre, we are not welcome after all. She does nothing. She stands there at, she stands there in the room looking at the ground. She is nearly shaking. Well, she is shaking with rage and all the hair on the back of her neck is up. And she just stares there, her fists, her hands curl into fists, and she just stands there. You hear, as your parents reach the door of the saloon, your father turns back and yells, He's smarter than you, you know. I don't need him to come with us. He'll come looking for us when he's ready. Ah, Then we'll see who is right after all. She just shakes her head to herself. Ash comes and finds you. He doesn't say anything. He just puts his arms around you, holds you. He didn't want the money. Yeah, I, I got the feeling it didn't go too well. Hmm. But they're going. How'd it go with mom? She was a little confused about why I was giving her a, <laughs> a jeweled statue of a half-naked woman, and. Uh, <laughs> And she starts erupting into hysterics. <laughs> but I did tell her what you told me. And uh, I think she she understands why after your father made that exit. Oh, goodness gracious. Who is that owner? Spirit? Spirit works there? Yeah. Oh, goodness. She's going to go apologize to Spirit for the show. Spirit just sort of leans her head on one arm and says, It is, uh, it is fine. I, I have seen worse. But, uh, are you okay? Oh, that's a wonderful question. You want the drink? Oh, please. I thought you'd never ask. She pours you a drink. Come oh, the house. Goodness. Oh, you're too good to me, spirit. I have shitty parents, too. Ooh, solidarity. And she raises her glass and salute. Spirit just raises the bottle. <laughs> and I think that's where we're going to end things tonight. Thank you for listening to the Land Above podcast. If you enjoy our show, please like and leave a positive review. It really does mean a lot to us. For more info and for future updates, follow the Land Above on Twitter at TLA Podcast. Dungeons and Dragons and its associated trademarks are property of Wizards of the Coast. This episode of The Land Above, produced by Matthew A. Siebert, editing by Fran Sweeney, character art by Vampbite. Follow him on Twitter at Vampbite. The Land Above podcast is part of the Nerdsmith Network. For more great free nerdy entertainment, visit nerdsmith.org. <laughs>